All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The Lions are having a hell of a year. Detroit off to a 5-1 start for the first time since 2011. They have a three-game lead in the NFC North just six, week in, six weeks into the season. Top 10 offense and defense in terms of scoring. And how could you not love Dan Campbell? Check out his post-game speech that's going viral right now. I got a couple of things for you. Look what I got in my back pocket. Anybody see what that is? Is that a five? I think that's a five. I think that's a five. I got something else here. It's fucking five. Five, gentlemen, that's an outstanding job. That's five. You guys earned it against a tough opponent. That's an outstanding job. Break it down. Hey, where the fucking show up in a statement game on the road? Keep going. Win on three, one, two, three, win. I mean, ready to run through a wall for Dan Campbell. Let's go. Oh man, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than that right now. I'm telling you, between Dan Campbell and a little bit saltier Jared Goff, this team. (laughs) We knew they were a team already you didn't want to see walking through the back alley. We knew Dan Campbell said if you were hunting us, it wasn't going to be hard to find us. We were going to be right in your doorstep. But if that doesn't get you fired up, you got to well, check that's what I mean. Man. You know, they say you take on the personality of your head coach. I mean, that's that's football right there. Dan Campbell is a picture. Just say football and show a picture of Dan Campbell, <laughs> and you're good. He's a football guy. We got another football guy here to help us out here. And a fellow member of your draft class, man, so, class in 1985 going the, into the NFL. By the way, I'm looking at my draft class in 85. Eight of the first 10 picks were offense or defensive linemen. There we go. Yeah. That's a good draft right there. Bruce, Bruce Smith was number one. Lomas was number six. Lomas Brown, who's going to join us right now from the team I played for, Ray Childress was number three. But yeah, eight of the ten were linemen. And Lomas and I, the only thing we have in common in our careers is we were both taken in 1985. After that, it separates. He was number six. <laughs> I was number 255. <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. And going on to that, Lomas Brown, one of the all-time great Detroit Lions, a member of their 75th anniversary team, their all-time team, and now does a great job covering the team as well. Lomas, good morning. How you doing, man? Hey, man. I am great. It's great being on with you guys. Hey, look. Looking at you guys, man. You would never think we were linemen. Oh, my God, man. You guys look great, man. <laughs> Thanks. That's a, the way you got to go, there's I'm only two it. ways to go, right? So does yeah. he. I yeah, mean, he's does. continuing the yep. proud trend of former <laughs> offensive linemen. Yep. Shedding the weight and looking good post-career when you don't got to actually be professionally big anymore, which is nice. But... Uh, Lomas, let's talk about this year's Detroit Lions team because you've been associated with this franchise for a long time. You've seen some of the leaner years that this team and this fan base have gone through. 
What's it been like around the team in Detroit watching the climb that Dan Campbell and company have been on here since he arrived in Detroit? You know, the one thing, it's been fast. It's been faster than I think a lot of people thought because you think about it, going into his third year, he's changed the whole culture around. I'm talking about from top all the way down to the bottom. And the fans, man, they're all bought in now. I mean, you can see how the fans travel. You can see how they show up at home games. We have a home field advantage now at Ford Field when the opposing teams come there. It's so much excitement here in the state of Michigan for this team. And I think everybody is bought in. It, it took a while because you had the same old Lions. You know, that was that just permeated here for about 30 years. Now you don't hear that anymore. People expect this team to win, and I think they expect to win when they show up each and every Sunday. Lomas, you got to Detroit, as we mentioned, in 85. You were there till 95 before you started going to a few teams. So you had a, most of your career there in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Talk about then and just how the losing kind of weighs heavier and heavier on you, something that Detroit is working through now. Yeah, it really does. And and, and you're right about that. And, and it was so heavy here. It really was. I mean, again, 91 was the last playoff victory we had here. 93 was the last divisional champion uh, uh, winning the NFC, uh, our division here. So it's been a long time. And the fans have gone through a lot of things. We've gone through a lot of heartache here. Uh, but we've gone through a lot of coaches, a lot of different staff that really hadn't gotten it done. This is the first staff from top to bottom. We're talking about all the way up that really gets it, that's really put their stamp on this organization. And I think these players, put it this way, Mikes, this is the first time that Detroit has been a destination spot for free agents. They didn't even want to come here to play unless you overpaid them. Now they want to come here and play for this organization and Dan Campbell. It really is an incredible testament to the culture he's built. What we know, although, is that culture, as it gets set, that foundation, it's passed on and belongs to the players. And the other voice we heard and talked about in that video was Jared Goff. What has he done that's impressed you during now his second act as an NFL player with this team since he came over in that trade? So, so think about this. Think about this scenario. Okay, you're in Los Angeles. You get discarded out of Los Angeles, the place where you played high school ball and played your college ball at, and you live. You get discarded. You get sent to the Midwest to a team you really know any don't know anything about. You don't know any of the teammates. You don't know anything about the culture of this organization. You're brought here, and even the fans, when Jared first got here, they just looked at Jared as a stopgap. Okay, he'll be here for a year or two. We brought him in for Matthew. He'll be gone. We're looking for our quarterback. Man, all Jared has done is put his stamp on this organization, this city that, look, I am the man, I'm the quarterback to lead this team, and he's gone out and he's played. To me, I'm telling you, you have to talk about this guy when you start talking about MVP candidates. He has to be one of these guys. You look at his numbers, his numbers stack up with these other guys in this league. He may not have the fancy or, you know, it, it may not have all the bells and whistles like all those other guys, but Jared is just as good, and I think he should be considered as an MVP candidate when they bring that out. Yeah, like you said, Mike, he's play, definitely playing with an edge yeah. now, no no doubt about it. Talk about, because you went through a few head coaches, and with Dan, I remember, listen, as all of us as former players, when we all heard Dan Campbell's first press conference about, <laughs> about biting kneecaps and the toughness, all I know is as if I was a player on that team, I'd have been going, oh, no, training camp is going to be so hard. It's going to be so tough. But talk about when you had new coaches, what made you try and buy into them? And it didn't work a lot, unfortunately, during your time there. What's different here about them, these players, buying into what Dan Campbell is selling? Yeah, so full disclosure, you know me and Dan played together for two yes. years when I was with the Giants. So he was my tight end. He was in his second year. I was in my 15th year. 
you knew it was something different about the guy. You just couldn't put your finger on there and say, oh, he's going to be a great coach or he's going to be a pretty good coach in this league. But you knew it was something different about him. And you could see it with these guys. Oh, my goodness, man. Look, this dude gets down there. You're talking about us being in shape. Man, I mean, I'll put him up against any head coach in the league. He get he does up downs with the guys. He's one of the guys. He's in that locker room. He played the game for eight, nine years. So he knows everything that these guys are going through and that they will go through. He knows how to push the right buttons to get what he needs to get out of these guys. And I'm telling you, he has been a master motivator, man. Like I said, his stuff may not be up on the TEDs and all these different platforms and things like that. But I tell you what, he got these 53 guys ready to run through a wall each and every Sunday. And you know you're going to have to play the Lions for a full 60 minutes when you get ready to play one of Dan Campbell's teams. I mean – blocking next to Dan Campbell. If you're playing tackle, he's playing tight end here. I got to imagine he was a real sicko trying to block guys off right? based on the, what we see now, right? Oh, man, the dude, he he was special. He was a little touched, dude. Now, you know, you guys know, you got to be a little touched to play football. So he was a little touched, too. <laughs> I can imagine. Another guy that seems to be in that mold who's produced really well in year two is Aiden Hutchinson. As someone who used to have to go up against some great pass rushers in this league, what have you seen out of him in year two that's allowed him to kind of take what appears to be from the outside looking in that next step as a young player? Yeah, I, I didn't think you could be any more relentless. But this dude, as they talk about Max Cosby and some of those guys that got have great motors, you could put Aiden Hutchinson right in that category. The dude is relentless, man. He's always coming. And he's a very, very good athlete. I didn't know he was that well of an athlete, you know, looking at him from Michigan. But the last two years, getting a chance to watch him, he is a very, very good athlete, has cat-quick instincts. and But he's still learning. And you guys know, man, the NFL, it's a process. You have to learn how to play and become a pro and and be that type of player in the NFL. He's still learning, but man, the sky's the limit for Aiden Hutchinson. And I think his infection, meaning it, it, you know the way he plays, it rubs off on the rest of those guys on that defense. And those guys are playing like their hair on fire. Four and a half sacks this year for Aiden, and I love how they're moving him. Right end, left end, going in the in inside yes. at times as well. Really doing a nice job of moving him along the line. So, Lomas, like I said, this is it's a great story. It's a fun story. But at some point there's got to be a payoff, right? So, so when when we when we wade through all of that, what does this team need to do as far as production by the end of the year and where they need to go to say, "Okay, this is a real story, not just a fun story." So, Mike, so I know the expectations are crazy around here now. You're hearing Super Bowl. You're hearing everything around here now. Coming into the season, my goal was for us to win the division, win our division, and win a playoff game. That was my hopes. That was my goals coming into the season. I'm quite sure Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, and the organization, their goals are far beyond that, you know, that they're thinking about doing. But I tell you what, the biggest thing and the thing that really scares me, and I know we can't help that, is the health of the team. That's the biggest deterrent to, I think, the Lions really getting to where they want to be at towards the end of the season. Of course, you see David Montgomery, he's down for a while. We uh, started Tampa Bay game without two of our starters in the backfield, uh, missing old offensive linemen. So it's been a challenge, um, you know, really trying to put healthy bodies in place. So I think that's the biggest thing. If they just keep playing the hard-nosed brand of football that Dan Campbell has them playing, the offense just keeps doing what they're doing, I think we could be, again, like I say, I want the division and I want a home playoff game so we could kick some butt at home. When you look and talk about winning that division, which they were the favorite coming into yeah. the season, those were all the things that I think you're right, the outside world at the beginning of the season expected for this team. Where do you see them in the NFC hierarchy now? We saw this past weekend, both the undefeateds that were remaining in Philadelphia and the 49ers lost. You had the Dallas Cowboys take a bad loss a week ago before that win last night on Monday Night Football. How do you group them in amongst the top teams in the conference? 
Well, I know we get a chance to play Dallas. So I would say San Fran, that da- uh San Fran, Philadelphia, Dallas, and us. I'll put us in that 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 four-team group right there. And like I say, I know we get the opportunity later on in the year to uh to play the Dallas Cowboys down there um in Dallas. So we'll get the opportunity to go head to head with them. Probably won't see those other two guys till we get in the playoff situation. So I, I think I would throw the Lions as maybe the third, the fourth best team in the NFC right now. Um, looking at the rest of the NFC, that's where I see us at and and can improve. We still have room to improve. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm looking at. Yeah, and as you mentioned, out of those teams we talked about, you just play the Cowboys, and that's second-last game, December 30th uh, at Dallas for that one. So last one, Lomas, Battle Royale, WWE. We all love watching that. (laughs) All 32 head coaches are in the ring. Who's the last man standing? Dan Campbell, man. Come on, man. Dan, this cock diesel. You know who I'm going to say the showdown will be between? It's going to be between Dan Dan Campbell and Andy Reid. Cause I'm telling you, man, Andy, Andy Reid, Andy got that girth, man. Look, it's hard ah. getting around that girth ah. and maneuvering around all that girth. So I could see Andy as being one of the last man standing, but I got to give it to Dan Campbell. I think Dan will take him down. Oh my gosh, I can't. Andy, <laughs> Andy Reid be gassed. You know, here's who yeah. I put as the last, <laughs> the last three in the ring. Here's what I would have: Dan Campbell. I think he would win. D'Amico Ryan's, oh yeah, and, and Mike Vrabel. Vrabel's a big boy. Vrabel's yeah, a big boy. That is true. That you know, you did pick out some uh, some good ones. Who would be the fourth guy? So out of Andy Reid, who who would you put up against Andy Reid? What coach would you put up against him? Ooh, wow. What, Pete Go Carroll. What, what Pete, you, you know who's Pete, you know, Belichick maybe? You know who's getting tossed out early is Mike McDaniel from the, to the Dolphins. He weighs about a buck ten, right? Someone's just going to pick him up and hoist him out of the ring. You know what? I'd say Andy Reid and maybe Brian Dable. Similar body types here. Tough low center of low center gravity. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I, <laughs> two sumo guys in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Andy. What Andy's, would be interesting is who teams up in there. To say, let's team up and throw this guy out of the ring. Right? That is that is true. I mean, it feels like based on some of the Spygate stuff, Bill Belichick might be teaming up with somebody yeah. there. A little bit back from me to try and figure out how to take him down there. I am going to be imagining Andy Reid as a sumo oh, wrestler now for the so rest good. of the day because of Lomas here. Lomas, oh, we can't thank you enough, man. This Lomas. was a blast. Uh, congratulations to the Lions. I'm sure it's got to be fun as an alum watching all this covering the team. Thanks so much, and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again here soon. Absolutely. This season keeps marching towards, hopefully, that division championship and more. Man, anytime y'all need the big fella, give the big fella a ring. I got you. Thanks, <laughs> Lomas. I'll see you in the road this Appreciate year, man. Take care. Lomas, Thank buddy. you. <laughs> He's such a good dude. Oh, he, he yeah. really well, – and he mentioned something here that I want to show – talking about the Detroit Lions and that road presence. This was what we had, the video of the Lions celebrating on the road in Tampa after that win this last weekend. Look at this. No, JK, we don't have that. We thought we did. Envision, Just imagine, imagine in your head a bunch of Detroit They're Lions fans. Blue, yeah, which is yeah. one of Detroit's primary colors. Yes, and it is. In the stands, there you normally go. you'd imagine Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans would have been. Yeah, but instead it was Detroit Lions. Let's see, because I've been part of the last three weeks where the traveling team, but they're traveling teams you expect this out of. So three weeks ago, I was in Vegas and they played. Pittsburgh. And it was also Vegas where everybody by and large, but especially those Steelers fans that are insane. So then I was in Vegas again and it was Green Bay, which travels well. And then last night here in LA with the Chargers, it's the Cowboys who travel well. There was a lot. So you don't think of it when you think of Detroit, but man, these fans have something to cheer about now, so they are going to start traveling well. And it's a color that really pops in the stadium, too. We saw that that night one, honestly, because those stadiums, too, you mentioned Las Vegas out here in SoFi, they're kind of destinations for everybody. They're environments where you already question what kind of reception the home team's going to get in any given night. I was genuinely confused at so many different junctures last night who the crowd wanted to win. I agree. Between the Chargers yes. and the Cowboys. I kept thinking I had a beat on it every once in a while and it would go away. Place I was most awed by the Lions fan base was night one. We were in Kansas City at mm-hmm. Arrowhead, which is one of the more loud, raucous, 
best home and home friendly environment. Group. Yeah, yeah. And we looked and we saw a lot yeah, we did. of blue. Really contrasted with the red very well. Yeah, right? no, yeah. It, uh, it yeah. was a very nice look in that. But Dad, I, I think he's got the order right. I think we talked about the NFC hierarchy a little bit before. That quartet sits at the top. I think the Seattle Seahawks, and then you start to get to the Los Angeles Rams outside of that. In the side of football that we know lacks the quality depth that its counterpart in the AFC does, especially with what's going on in divisions like the AFC North, where I feel like we've kind of done this throughout the season with that division in particular, but now looks so strong. But for the Lions, they've really put themselves in that group by what they've done on defense with Aiden Hutchinson and company. But to his point, injuries in that secondary, injuries in other spots are what you worry about most on doing some of that progress. It's the one thing, obviously, you can never predict. It's attrition. You know, if you and again, it's not a matter of if somebody gets hurt, it's when. When do they get hurt? How bad do they get hurt? How much time do they have to miss? We talked about Montgomery uh, going to be out for a bit. He talked about some DBs out, some old linemen. Every team goes through that. And a lot of times there's a team or two that we call the MASH unit that has an unbelievable amount of injuries that you never see coming. So then it's all about if you have those injuries, how long are they out? How do you hold up while they're out? And then can they be healthy for a run at the end of the year? And that that's what we run into because we can pick the top teams, but all of a sudden, if for some reason Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel missed a ton of time yep. in San Francisco, we're looking at it completely differently. Now it doesn't look like that's gonna happen, but that's what that's what is the demise of some teams. All we know is right now, we've mentioned Dan Campbell showing that five off. They got five right now. They are five and one for the first time since 2011. They've won four consecutive games by double digits for the first time since 1991. The offense is averaging the fourth most points per game on the season, and the defense is allowing the seventh fewest yards per game at this point. That is who the 2023 Detroit Lions are, and that is a far cry from where we've seen them in the history of the NFL in my lifetime. What do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. NFL great Emmett Smith is a pro football Hall of Famer, a three-time Super Bowl champ, NFL MVP in 1993, and he is still the NFL's all-time leading rusher with 18,355 yards and an NFL record 164 rushing touchdowns. Senior was so excited to talk to Emmett Smith about their playing days, but alas, Kidney Stone struck again, so only Gojo had a chance to catch up with him. All right, excited to talk to Hall of Famer and Cowboys legend Emmett Smith, kind enough to join us here on behalf of Narcan, and we'll certainly uh, get to talk about what you've got going on with them, Emmett. But, you know, first and foremost, I feel like some of the biggest news in the world sports right now involves the Cowboys, and going back to your era, Jimmy Johnson finally getting the call up for the Cowboys Ring of Honor was such a huge story in sports. What did that mean for you, for guys on your team, to finally see that moment happen for him? For me, it's a moment of completion. Uh, When you think about um, the era which we're describing uh, when the Cowboys began in 89, being 1-15 with Jimmy and 
and Jared just getting started uh, with the dream and the goal of just developing into a first class organization. Jimmy was part of all of that. He was the foundation along with Jerry Jones themselves, been the, the catalyst for all of the success that we were able to enjoy throughout those uh, 15, 13 years that I played in the National Football League. And so to have guys like Michael, my Troy, Michael Troy, myself, uh, Darren Woodson, Larry Allen, and other players go in during that time and not to have our head coach there, uh, for me as a player, it was completely disappointing. And so to now bring, bring it full circle and bring closure to it all, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's, it, it sends the right message. And I think it might be the one thing that lifts the cloud over the last 15, 20 some years of not being able to get deep into the playoff because I think the, the, the clouds and the stars and everything are starting to align just the right way because that's the, just the way it's supposed to be. Uh, when you mentioned that, you know, the current Cowboys team does seem to finally be hitting that mode here. How frustrating has it been as a former player, as someone who is so associated with this franchise, to see the struggles that have gone on for the last couple of decades? I think the most frustrating thing for me has been uh, seeing our teams have so much talent, but yet that talent has yet to gel together as a complete unit offense defense as well as special team and to have the mental fortitude or the mental toughness that's required to to you know to run the table as we, we would say uh december is a tough month and to 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 get going to the playoff you want to win at least three if not four of the next three to four games and so you want to go into the playoff on a high note and and, and i think that's what we're trying to do and so far over the last four weeks or five weeks, if you will, our team has progressed tremendously. I think we've grown since the San Francisco 49er game. But have we grown to the level to where we're mentally ready and physically ready to go up against those teams when the energy requires it? We'll find out in the next couple of weeks when Philadelphia comes back here, that'll be our next test. And then from that point on, uh, not to say that Seattle is not a test, but every team is a test. But, but when it comes down to physicality and and going up against the 49ers, we got to bring that energy. And, and I, that's what I'm looking for. No doubt. It's a measuring stick game and, and certainly has been for this era of the Cowboys. You mentioned the last few weeks and the improvement the Cowboys made. A lot of people point back to the quarterback, Dak Prescott, right now. Has this season and really this stretch of play for him changed your thought on his long-term outlook as the Cowboys quarterback? First of all, my long-term outlook with, with, uh, about Dak Prescott has never changed. I still think Dak Prescott is our quarterback and should be our quarterback until his time of retirement. Until we can find somebody much better to replace him with, we have to ride with a horse that's bringing us right to the dance right now, and that's Dak Prescott. So as far as I'm concerned, he is our guy, and he's going to be our guy for a long time. What stands out to you about the way that he's played this year, though, as he's getting MVP conversation now? Do you see even a different level or a different gear that he's found so far this year? You know, I I don't know if it's a gear or a level, but I think what is happening, I think, and, and, I, and I think this is where people fail to analyze the game from the right perspective. Uh, play selection has a lot to do with the success of any quarterback or any player. Uh, play development, uh, how things are packaged, how things are schemed. Uh, what other things can you build off of certain packages that give the defense a certain look or a consistent look, but not knowing what's all in the package and when it's coming? To me, I think that's the difference between the way the 49ers beat us in, in, earlier in the season and the way that we're playing ball right now. I think McCarthy has expanded the offense a little bit. If you look over the last three to four weeks, the ball has been thrown to many multiple players and not trying to get it forced into C.D. Lamb here in third down and 25 type situations. The ball itself has been thrown around and we we are having um, possessions uh, and getting the ball in, in the right position in terms of yardage wise per down uh, to convert. Uh, early on, I don't think we was doing those things. But there are certain things that we still need to eliminate. Penalties, 
dumb mistakes, false starts, and all those kind of things. Making sure that we get the, the play in on time so we don't burn timeouts and things like that. When to go forward on fourth down and all those kind of things versus when to punt. The emotional aspect of the game when your team has had a long drive and now it's fourth and two or something like that, instead of rewarding them with the field goal, you want to go forward on fourth and two and run a risk of not getting any points out of it. So you keep the momentum up and the emotional aspect of the team intact and you lean on your defense, which is pretty daggone good. Uh, looking back around the rest of the league, I mean, you spent so much time around this. You're someone who's known for his career longevity, and part of that is being able to withstand injury and battle back. What do you make of what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers right now? It just got announced the other day that he's been cleared to return to practice after the Achilles injury we saw early in the season. As someone who's seen a ton of football and been around a ton of football, are you a little bit stunned at what we're looking at right now? No, I'm not. And, and the reason why I'm not stunned is because I'm a realist and I understand that technology evolves and things get better over time. And what we're seeing and what we're witnessing is some of the things that are readily available to help enhance the recovery aspect of an athlete that can be utilized in general population as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the thing is, we have to be open and honest with ourselves in terms of what works and what does not work and what, ha and what he went through um, and what he's done and what the doctors have done. The reality of the fact is I'm proud of the simple fact that the man is able to bounce back. The question is um, how well he's able to transition now onto the football field and do the things that he used to be able to do. Uh, so I'm not shocked and I'm not surprised. I think, uh, Tom Brady broke the mode by, by playing for 40, 400 years. And so when you have the ability to do things that others are not doing, uh, those are areas that needs to be studied. gets going this weekend and while I have moaned and complained about not being over in Dublin my father and I got to catch up with another guy who is over making the trip there former Notre Dame great national champion and NFL Hall of Famer Joe Montana stopped by to chop it up with us about what it's been like the experience over in Dublin getting ready to uh, kick off the 2023 season take a listen all right, this is a fun one. Very excited to welcome in Super Bowl champion, national champion, and NFL Hall of Famer Joe Montana here on behalf of the folks at Guinness over in Dublin. So, Joe, you make the trip over to Dublin with the folks at Guinness to celebrate the start of college football with Notre Dame. What's this atmosphere been like? It's a combination of a lot of really great things all coming together. Oh, yeah, for sure. We have the whole family here, which has been great. And actually, um, our um, our youngest daughter, Elizabeth, and her husband had their new baby uh, baptized uh, two days ago here. So it's been, oh. been a lot of fun with all the family. Now it's starting to get kind of crazy because uh, all the fans are starting to show up. They're, they've been slowly through, but as of today, yesterday, well, yesterday evening, we tried to walk around through the, uh, the little walking streets they have here and it was packed. So, but all because of this little thing right here. <laughs> well, listen, talk about that for a minute because the I've used four words since I've been here a few days a lot. I'll have another Guinness. I've been that that's kind of been my line. So so what's going what's going on with them? Uh you know, we the we got some new things coming out. I've been with Guinness for a number of years now, and um they're they're the big promotion coming out now is Guinness Zero. They don't know alcohol. And then they brought in some other guy named Joe. Damn it, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Burrow. Yeah. And so we, they just released some of the content the other day, and there'll be more coming along. But uh, it's been a been a great relationship here with Guinness for me. And, and now with Joe coming on, and, you know, great people to work for, great tradition, sort of like Notre Dame, right? Big history. A lot of tradition here and um a great product right yes it and, is uh, <laughs> absolutely and, been, and, and the boys have been in charge of finding all the old older pubs and famous ones they want to see so we've been trying to get around doing that and now it's things are getting crazy and we're here at the uh, uh 
at the uh, storehouse. I can never remember storehouse. I keep wanting to call it a brewery. (laughs) It's only 14 levels, so no big deal. Wow. I know. And, and in fact, they're, the, the kids and everybody are here taking, going around taking a tour. I'm sure the boys are all having a few pints along the way, but uh, uh, it's been great. It's been a great trip so far. So for you and your family, you get to enjoy all those parts of the trips with the fine folks at Guinness, and that's a great time. The other part of the tradition you talked about in Notre Dame is over there trying to win a football game. Marcus Freeman heading into year two with the program. Joe, what's your expectation for Coach Freeman in year two as he tries to add to the legacy of this program? Well, I love what he's been able to do. Um, I think one of the things that – that everyone I talk to about, I haven't been around him. I, you, he doesn't have my new phone number yet. So I used to, <laughs> because I, I haven't gotten it out to everyone. I literally just changed it before I left for Europe about two weeks ago. And so normally I, I talk, talk to him a bunch of times and um, I'm sure he'll yell at me when I get down on the field for not giving him my phone number before the game. But um <laughs> Uh, I just think he brings a different atmosphere to the team and, and a different um, uh, understanding and a different level of professionalism to say that I don't think was there before. Um, and, and that person lasted a long time. You know, he won a bunch of games, but I I think he's going to do great things there. I just I just really like his demeanor. I like what he's about. I like what I see and what he's put on the field last year and was able to maintain where they were before. And the only, the only problem I see is, man, I looked at that schedule. They, what, man, they're stacked up there for a while. So it'll be a great test, and um, but it's going to be a tough one for them this season. At this. Got some good teams coming up down the line. Sure do. So, Joe, take every- – this one, this one's no one that- – the, this is a scary one, me. Yeah. That team is, you know, they they'll sneak. They don't sneak up on you. They just like badger you to death, and they don't quit. And it's a tough one for the play in the first time. You know, your first game out to shoot in the season, I think. So um, I'm interested to see how it goes. So, Joe, all I know is all three of us in our times at Notre Dame played Navy, and only one of us on this call lost to Navy, and that would be my son. So, <laughs> sorry, Mike, I had to bring that up. Uh, uh, yeah, that. yeah. But, Joe, take everybody down on the field a little bit where they really can't go. Notre Dame gets a new quarterback, Sam Hartman, who comes over from Wake Forest, has thrown for, you know, I think 110 touchdowns. Everybody's excited because he can throw the ball, and we feel we'll have a passing offense to go with the running offense. But tell us how difficult it can be to have a new guy come into a system, even though he's been around for a while, learn a whole new system, learn the language of the system, and then try and get on the same page with receivers and just what kind of a process that is. I think the the biggest process, I don't I don't think learning the system as much um will would be a problem. It's it's getting that time with the receivers and and because that's that's the thing it takes the most for a quarterback is you you're looking at body language you're looking at making sure they understand exactly what you're thinking and it takes a while even even when I went to Kansas City I knew that offense it just had different terminology but Paul Hackett was there who was with us with the 49ers and through um, our second Super Bowl and so th- my transition was easy but it was getting receivers on the same page that that you're on. And just like simple little things, I, I called this one play and I told these guys, I go, okay, look, here's the deal. If you hear me say 20 read, I am not calling the ball to throw to the halfback. I'm throwing it because they're playing the defense and I'm throwing the post. So as soon as you hear that, if you're running the post, you're the guy running the post, just get your head up because it's coming. <laughs> Even if I get a blitz, I'm hitting my back foot and I'm throwing it. And sure enough, I call it. He doesn't think about it, and he drops it. He, he didn't think it was coming, and he looks up, and it's there, and he drops it in the end zone. Oh. And he was so upset, and and they just said, "No, you just don't, don't. You can't get upset because it's going to come again. We're going to do it again. I promise you." And it those are the little things that have them understand what the offense is about, 
and have the quarterback and the receiver. So I knew the offense more than they did and vice versa. Now the, it happens with them. The receivers know it probably better than um, the quarterback now. And so he, he just has to spend a lot of time with them. And I think that's the toughest part of it. And, you know, they run the ball well, so it should take some of the pressure off of there. Joe, you mentioned the amount of time it takes and the experience and how valuable that is. Not only just playing a lot in the league, playing with those specific guys, it kind of makes me think of what's going on with your old team in San Francisco and Trey Lance right now. What have you made of the way that the team sort of laid out the plan for a young guy who hadn't gotten to play a lot of football even before he got to San Francisco, who now is sitting in that third string quarterback spot? Well, I you know, Trey, very athletic, you know, young, strong arm. I, I think the hardest part for a, a player is finding a system that he fits. Now, there are offenses in the in the NFL that he would fit into a lot better than the, than the 49er offense, I think. I think he's just in a bad position there. Because when you when you run it, when you come from a team that runs pretty much the read option and you're a runner you're you don't always learn how to read defenses and coming to the nfl and trying to understand anticipation where the hole is going to be is not the place to learn is the nfl you can't you have to already know it but when you see like the thing that drives me crazy when you see college quarterbacks when they do this they turn and look to the side. Yeah, yeah. They're telling them everything. So they're not so that person has a difficult time if you don't if you haven't come from somewhere else that, that's taught you that. It's really difficult to learn that offense and be successful at that level. And like I said, there there are other teams that have run the ball and do a lot more of the read option stuff, which I think he that's what he came from. And he's just I think he's just in a tough position. Um, because I think they tried uh, to give him the opportunity to, to to do it, and it just he wasn't able, still able to do it. Will he be able to do it someday? Maybe, but I don't. I they've got a, uh, a Super Bowl quality team, and they know they need someone they can trust in that second position just in case. Last one for me, Joe. You were part of a dynasty in San Francisco, and that word's got to get thrown around, you know, a, a bit. And I imagine you're protective of the word dynasty. You know, not too many of them out there. The team you finished with, the Chiefs, and what Patrick Holmes has done, lost the Super Bowl, but have won a couple of the Super Bowls. Are they in the dynasty conversation yet, or do they have a little more work to do? I think they're pretty close to it. I mean, look at what they've been able to do in, in a short amount of time, and they they continue to win. And while we, you know, we won, ended up winning four while I was there and another one right after I left. And um, they're on that process, right? I mean, it, it took Tom a while to get those, the ones that he won in also over time. So I, I think they're on their, on that path to be in that. I mean, they, and you can see it's been a successful team, uh, both offensively and defensively. They keep losing players, but they keep, plugging other ones in and they all seem to work. So as long as they don't lose that one guy behind the center, I think they're all right. <laughs> yeah. 15, 15 seems like a pretty good uh, game plan going into each week to get you through it. Uh, uh, as you were for a very, very long time, Joe, we can't thank you enough for the time today. I'm sure you and dad will both enjoy plenty of Guinness over there uh, for me. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the trip. Uh, you bet. We'll see you guys and uh, we'll see you at the game. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and making her triumphant return. Celebrity Jeopardy contestant Katie Nolan. Katie, how you doing, bud? Uh, I'm so good. It's uh, the day I've been counting down to for a while, my Celebrity Jeopardy day. So I am very, very excited and happy Uh, to be here with both of you, obviously. I would be... I'm very, very proud of you, Katie. Let me me just say that right out of the gate because there is no way... I would take this challenge on. I, I I would be scared to death. How how nervous, nerve-wracking was this? Uh it's very, very scary. I truth be told, I was asked last year to do it. And I thought it was as a joke. Like I thought they were just like, hey, you talk about Jeopardy a lot because you watched it. Um, and so I was like, no, absolutely not. I would never. I don't want to do a test of wits in front of people, a studio <laughs> audience, and then you have to wait and then it's gonna air. So you have to just kind of stew in what you know has happened. Um, and then this year, I mean, I I got up to a point this year where I was like, you just start giving yourself credit for things you've done. And I've watched Jeopardy every day for like the majority of my life. And so I was like, you know, you know the, the ins and outs of it. You get a lot of questions right at home. It's just going to be about believing in yourself and calming down when you're up there. Because, you know, being on TV, you're like, oh, I feel like I have to... I don't know. It's just stressful. And so uh, I figured it would be a good challenge for me to like trust that I know something and just say it because, you know, some things in my career have kind of beaten into me that I don't know what I'm talking about. So then it's just like, believe in yourself because most of the time you do, you just doubt yourself. And so that's what I did. And to answer your question, it was very, very stressful. Oh, so you went in with that attitude. I know we're not going to give away any state secrets. Everyone's got to watch tonight. Tune in. But how would you now retroactively grade your performance on here? How do you think you did not in terms of performance, but in displaying that confidence and putting those things to action you just talked about? Okay, just in that one part, I would say like B plus A minus. All right. Um, so because you know, it I think I did all right in that way. It, this is gonna be so funny once you've watched it to listen back to this. Uh, because it's just the grade I would give myself is probably like a C. Honestly, Ooh. oh cool. I mean that oh, that just it's uh, a lot of you people know, pass with C's. Yeah, that is true. But my mom would have grounded me, so that's my nah. that's the house I was the house I was raised in. A C was like you are in trouble, trouble. Yeah. Well, listen to my son and Jake and and Mike's brother Jake. A C was an A. So you know it's it's everything is different. So, but but here's what's interesting because you said, "Oh, I do well at this at home." We all sit around at home and do this Wheel of Fortune, all the different game shows, and you get it. You can't understand why the person on TV didn't get it. You so see, we, you, you might even say, "You idiot!" Yes, yes, yes. And then once so, you've done it, you're like, mm. "Yeah." So Mike and I had Anthony Anderson on a while ago, and he's hosted game shows and been on game shows. And and I asked him this the same question I, I'm going to ask you is is you sit at home and you get it right, but then you get there and there's the buzzer and you got to get the buzzer in. You got to answer in a split second. How you said you did well at home, just take it then to the studio and just how different it is. It's so different because you, you know what the game board looks like and you know what their um, podiums look like, but you don't really ever see, you know, the first time you stepped on a TV set and you were like, oh my God, this is so much smaller than I imagined. Yes. Or so much bigger than I imagined. So you're like trying to calibrate that and take in that you, I walked into that studio and I, I cried. I was mortified. My <laughs> eyes filled up with tears because it's now named the Alex Trebek studio. And like, uh, yeah. he was like TV daddy to me. Yeah. And so just like walking in there and seeing it in person and then being like, you get to do this. I got like very emotional. So then luckily they take you to a green room and then you can calm yourself down. 
Um, but then they take you out for like a rehearsal and to just teach you how to click. But that's when you're taking in all of the like, okay, so the host is going to be standing there. Okay. The mm. audience is right there. This is how you barely get to practice the clicking. And then they're like, cool, we're rolling. Here we go. And you're just like, <gasps> and so I think the first few, I had to like, I think a couple of times you might catch me on camera. Cause now I've been watching them back and they they're doing <laughs> a thing where they put the three of them on screen with the board. So they're always on camera. And I'm like, I didn't know we were doing that. I thought there were times I was off camera where I was probably being like, <laughs> to like calm myself down. And now I know it's going to be on the episode. Uh, but yeah, there were, I just had to like breathe and just be like, being freaked out's not going to help. Being freaked out's not going to help. The thing I'm excited to see back is just like uh, if any of the nervousness came across or if like there were times where my brain just wandered and then all of a sudden I was like, I have to come back. I'm in the middle of it's a long game. This Celebrity Jeopardy now has triple jeopardy. So it's three rounds. It's a slog. Uh, (laughs) And it's very stressful to like get your brain working like that i have since read the things that people like actual jeopardy not celebrity jeopardy which is a lot easier than real regular jeopardy i think um i've read now like what real jeopardy people say about like how to prepare and they're like you need to eat right before you go on you should drink a cup of coffee right before you go on and you need to practice the buzzer more than anything how do you what do you mean practice i mean Oh, there's yeah. ways. If you're truly interested, there are ways. I bought a really? book. I bought a book that's like the how to master the button. Come uh, on. It's just there's a guy who like really tested it and built himself. You can, I think, even buy, they'll sell you like a fake yep. one that you can hook up to your computer that'll basically read like how many seconds after the light turns on, you buzzed. Because a lot of studies have shown that, like, especially when you get to those certain levels of Jeopardy, like, I don't know how much Jeopardy you guys are watching, but I'm a big, like, the the champions rounds and all those things that, like, you know, Ken used to do, and now it's, like, Holtzauer and uh, Matt Amodio and those people. Like, they, it's about buzzing. They all know the answers. It's just whether or not you can get in. And I will say the most frustrating thing from my episode was the buzzing, knowing the answer and thinking you buzzed first and somebody got in before you. Did you know that if you buzz before they're done, giving the clue, not asking the question. I always say that giving the clue. If you buzz before they're done, you get locked out from buzzing for like, Oh, so you're penalized for being eager. Yes. So if like, you know it, so you're like, I want to be the first one in. It doesn't work that way. Once this light goes on, that's next to the clues. Once the light goes on, you can buzz. And so the light goes on. Somebody is flipping a switch to open up the voting. And if you voted, you've been bumped to the back of the line. And if you haven't voted and you're the first one to buzz in, you get to answer. It's so almost very like it's, frustrating. It, it, it's almost like I'm watching F1 where the lights are going and you yes. have to, you know. Yes, wait it's for very that intricate and difficult, just like F1 and just as dangerous. <laughs> yes. People, people don't give that nearly the respect it deserves. People have, ended up, yeah, people have ended up in the hospital on Jeopardy. That's right. Yeah. That is right. <laughs> wait, so, uh, Kate, so, yeah, it's very stressful. The buzzing is very stressful. Wow. So you yeah. bought the book. But like it, you've been on here with us a couple of times in the since this podcast started, and when you were calling games on Apple TV for Major League Baseball, you were showing us all your notes where there were these intricate drawings of people's hands on the baseball for pitches, and you had gone so above and beyond in your prep, rep, prepping for that. So the, okay, I was going to ask. So Katie Nolan for the podcast audience is holding up all of her flashcards. So this was your mode of practice for this. I have a couple modes. These are my president flashcards because look, you. There are certain things, my whole philosophy going into this was like, I just don't want to get an easy one wrong. Mm -hmm. I do not want to be asked a question about a country and accidentally give the answer of a city. So let me make sure I know what all 197 countries on earth are. So I was like, while I'm doing that, I might as well also learn where they are generally. So I studied maps i now know where every country is i know uh like what they mostly what they border there's some where you're like oh that has a tiny border with uzbekistan like i don't know but like i know it generally where things are which is something i feel like i should have always known and we kind of all (laughs) pretend we know i just wanted to make sure that going forward in my life i'll know that and then like you said because you saw a drawing of a hand holding a ball clearly i take things too far i then also made sure that i know every capital of every country that we have on planet earth right now 
Um, and that includes those islands over by Australia. And there's many of those. Um, and so I learned all that. I learned the presidents because that feels like something I should have known. I should know the order of the presidents. I do not. I did not. I kind of do now. Well, well does that make you know. does that make you go, man, I, I should have retained more like I, yes. I didn't know there were 197 yes. countries. Quite honestly. I was shocked so, by the yeah. things I didn't know. I was shocked of like, how have you what, never heard this before? What's your favorite thing that you learned going back through to get ready for this? That's now going to be like your party trick going forward. A hundred percent capitals. Really? You tell people, you know, the capital of every country and they just start throwing countries at you and you're like, got it. Got it got it That's i'm afraid amazing. it's gonna go i'm afraid it's going to go but there's this website called sporkle it's like a trivia website and they have like fun quizzes and stuff that you can do that like reinforces your uh knowledge and so every day i take a blank map of the world and i list the countries and their capitals just to that make sure it sticks in there that is amazing but i wonder is it do you think it's going to be like a test? We when we took a test, we studied for the test, and when the test was over, we forgot everything. So you yes. did this, and now it's it's all gone. I think it's going to be that if I don't keep reinforcing it every now and then. I feel like now that I'm older, weirdly enough, I used to always say I get why they put us in school when we're younger because your brain is more malleable. But like I would care about it more now because I'm like interested now and curious now and I like understand what I understand and now I want to fill in the stuff where it goes so that I can like make it broaden my understanding if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas back then I was learning it for a test. And then I'm like, I'm never going to think about what it matters, which president came after which president. Whereas now I'm like, I didn't realize that this president and this president were this close together. That makes sense. Now I can see how that went and, you know, put together the story of history is what I feel like I'm doing now. And I'm it, it is amazing that. how it works. You go to school when you didn't really think you cared about school. Then after school's over, you wish you'd have studied more in school yes. and you want to learn. But right. just wait, when you get to my age, you don't give a damn about any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> so it'll all go away at some point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my brain's getting better, so I don't know yeah. that it's going to hold on to all of these countries and capitals. But right now, I'm fun to wow. be with at parties. What about Luxembourg? Uh, the capital of Luxembourg, you picked an easy one, is Luxembourg. So it's just Ooh, one yeah, of those. Nope, that, you love right, those. Vatican what? City is like that. San Marino is like that. Monaco, where you're like, oh, the capital's just the name of the place. That's sick. I, I'm not even gonna gonna quiz you on that because I wouldn't even know where where to you know, start. I could say anything. Um, but let me ask you this: TV. Is there a? I know you studied a lot for it, but, but is there a category that came up or that would have come up that where you would have just been like, "Well, okay, I'm screwed on this one." Here's the thing: because of how much it would matter in my life, because the stress would be too high. If there was anything too deeply sports related, mm. I was terrified that my brain would go blank or I'd overthink it or I'd just be like, I have to get this the most right. And then it would be like, that's <laughs> not it was the easy. It was the obvious answer. You answered the like kind of niche or answer. I was just afraid of how it would go, because as a female sports fan who now works or did work in sports TV, whatever's happening with that. You are constantly being jeopardied about your knowledge. And it's like, if you get it even a little wrong, boom, we were right. She slept her way to the top. She has no business being here. There's just less wiggle room for me in getting something wrong. And that pressure alone, I think, would have got me talking myself out of answers that I absolutely should have gotten. That would have been my nightmare. I wow. never thought about it that That's... being a female sports fan mm. or working in sports as a woman is actually the greatest training for being on yes. Jeopardy known to mankind. Yes. You just have to know the answer to any question they may ask. And if you don't, you die as a sports fan. Uh, so that's been I now that I say it. Yeah, it's is there training? If there were a, the, and they do celebrity in a lot of the game shows, if there is another one. Ooh that had it that would be your because i know you love jeopardy but if there was another game show or if they did this again that you would kill to be on which would it be family feud yes yes then you have to rely on others though I know. see here's also, the thing about you can put it off on others and then but here's the thing fault. about family feud and i know our family i know if if the five of us were up there and you know when somebody gives a dumb answer and they just all yeah. still say good answer, we would we'd probably get kicked off the show. Yeah. Because it and it would probably be Sydney who would give an answer where we'd go, <laughs> "What the hell did you just say?" I can just say? picture you all looking down the line like, yeah. "What?" Yeah, exactly. What? 
So family feud, huh? Who, yeah, I love, first of all, I think Steve Harvey is a hilarious host on that show. Yes, he's yes. perfect for family feud when he turns to the camera and like acts like he's getting taken out because an answer is so stupid. It's perfect. I could just watch and I have just watched in hotels where they have those like smart TVs with the weird channels that you don't know what they are. There's a channel that just shows clips from that show. They don't have to be in the same order. It's not full episodes. It's just like a highlight reel of Steve Harvey on wow. Family Feud. And it's I could watch it all day. I'm not I'm I should be ashamed to admit that and I'm not. That's one of the reasons. And the other reason is because every all the cool things I've done, I feel like I've wanted to be able to share them with my family. I'm not even saying that in a way that like I'm not that close with my family, but like going to the Super Bowl. When I got when I became a person who goes to Super Bowls, I was like, I I have to find a way to bring my dad to the Super Bowl, like especially the Patriots Super Bowl, which, of course, the one he saw happened to be the most boring. Um, <laughs> and the one my brother saw is the one that we lost to the Eagles. But like I feel like getting them and bringing them to stuff they always want to. And so this would be one I could be like, yeah, you can come do this. And then I can also this in the same spirit of you saying that you wouldn't say good answer because of the way my family is when they don't do well, I can go, see, it's not that easy. You couldn't just do my job. Yeah. Mm. Cause mm. It, that, that is, cause that is another one where you can buzz in whenever you want, but then you damn well, yeah, you yeah, better have better, something to say. Better have something to say instead of just sitting there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Kate, Katie, you brought up all the things that you've gotten to done in your career. Where does this rank? Oh, Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. I'm close to number one. Wow. I'm close to number one. I just because this was like a like, in its purest sense of the of the phrase, a dream come true. I have like. I've I watch Jeopardy all the time. It's like a cultural institution to me. It's like a respected TV institution that's been around. It's like a it's still treated with like respect. The networks love it. It's like they're seen as their like shining star. And I got to be on it without having to take the test. I partially think that I got famous only to get famous enough to do this. And now I don't I could just retire on top. This so feels I, like the greatest. I, I wonder as they were going through hosts and there were some celebrity hosts. Yeah, see, I'm not there, that celebrity. Here's the were thing. You, I'm were not you celebrity si enough for that. Well, that's what I was saying. Were you sitting there going, man, I could do better than that. I could host better than that. What if you had the chance to host Jeopardy? Now, see, here's the thing. I do think you having Ken as the host and Mayim too, but having Ken as the host is is great because he already knows most of the answers. Yeah. And so he, he doesn't have to wait to be signaled that like, that's correct. He's, he's got it. He knows. Uh, and he's like played the game before a lot, which I think is really helpful because he understands the traffic and he understands how that person behind the podium is feeling. And he does a really good job of like calming them down. I, uh, it is funny you describing Ken. It's like having a player, a former player as a coach. Like Ken yeah. is the D'Amico exactly. Ryans of the Jeopardy exactly. hosting set there. Like there's everybody... benefits to, to not being that, and there's benefits to being that. And I exactly. just, it, the thought of hosting Jeopardy would make me throw up. I, it would, I, it would, it's like meeting your heroes type thing. Speaking of, you guys are uh, the Celebrity Jeopardy. You're playing for a charity. What was your charity? Uh, the Association for Women in Sports Media. And I will tell you, I may have bungled the part where they tell you you get to talk about your charity because it, there is something that is like really stressful when the people that say it before you have um, like charities that are about like life and death and uh, and and other such things. But I, the reason I chose it is because I wanted a, a charity I have like a personal relationship with. And I also wanted a charity that if I got knocked out in the first round, they would still feel the money that they got. So like, if you win the whole thing, they give a million. But if you win, if you even just play, I think they give, I don't know the number, but they give like 20,000, I want to say 10,000 to a charity. And so I didn't want it to be like, you know, the American Red Cross's like a drop in the bucket. Which not to say that you shouldn't give to those. Do you know what I'm saying though? Like I wanted yep. a place that would be like, oh my God, that money really helped. And from what I've heard, AWSM after uh, COVID hit, because people weren't going to school, they like suspended a lot of the things they normally do because you're not really networking when right. there's a virus going around. Uh, and so they were like not doing too well. And so I was like, this could be, this could keep an organization around that I really, really believe in. And that like changed my experience in this industry for the better. Uh, it could keep it around. 
Well, Katie, beyond excited to get to check this out for everyone that's watching this on Wednesday when it comes out on the show here, Katie's episode is coming out that night for everyone who listens to it later. You'll hopefully have watched and get to hear this uh, in the preamble to it. You nailed the lead up uh, for American Women in Sports Media on this. And Katie, if nothing else, I hope I didn't get too much in the way of you finally getting to hang out with my dad on air. No, this after was great. This was actually this. this was the ideal first time. Again, training wheels. I'm used to those. Yeah. And then, so I'm assuming from here on out, you're just gonna you'll stay yeah. home, and then it can just we'll it'll just ju- take it. It'll just be you and I, Katie. Yeah, perfect. That's it. Perfect. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. There he goes. Such my- a good. This is good yeah. practice. I, I I completely agree. We don't need Mike. He needed to set right. up this first time after, and totally. then we we're pros. We can take yeah, care. of we it can from take here. it from here. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Exactly. Gojo, thank you so much, Gojo. You just take your name off the sign. Yeah. Too, just yeah. Get your name. Yeah. I mean, get completely out of this thing. Holy <laughs> smokes! We will be watching with our popcorn. We are getting our popcorn rec- ready, as Terrell Owens would say, uh, to watch this. It's going to be awesome. I hope I make you proud. I really do. Because I think I did when we went fishing, and I would really like to continue that tradition. I want to make Katie, you proud. you always make me proud. Thanks. Except you beat my ass fishing, which just sucked. <laughs> no, it was luck. It was all luck. <laughs> it would not, I would not have been able to maintain. I can't fish to save my life. Mike, come back now. Yeah, you can come back now, Mike. Nah, I just figured that'd be a good out. No, right that there. was good. No, that was good. 